Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on this day and ask once again that you would give us the privilege of singing hymns that would be acceptable to you and would bring glory to your name. Lord, we're thankful today that we can, with the song, give the personal testimony that it's only your love that has lifted us up from our sin and despair. It's your love that has set us free. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to live in that love each and every day, reflecting your love back to you, giving honor and glory to you as the source of all true love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing. All right, just a few words of explanation. I normally do not bring my laptop to the pulpit, uh, but if you look at the bulletin, the printer in the office ran out of uh, toner, and uh, I went to print on my little printer in my office, and it decided to quit this morning. And so the only place my notes are are there, and so I hope you'll forgive me this morning and uh, that it won't be a distraction, but... uh, Uh, This morning's message, this being uh, the last Sunday before Valentine's Day, and we've chosen uh, an interesting way to celebrate uh, Valentine's Day this year. Friday night, we'll be having an activity here at the church uh, starting at 6.30. If you can't make it that early, come anyway. Uh, What we'll be doing is collating John and Romans uh, the little gray booklets like we hand out on to visitors on Sunday morning. Uh, we hope to be doing about 5,000 of those for North Brooklyn Baptist Church. If everything comes together, if it doesn't, uh, we'll be collating 5,000 uh, that are part of a much larger shipment uh, that are going to Brazil. And um, uh, as I was talking with our uh, missionary we support, Brother Sandy, whose job is just to get John and Romans and scriptures and send them out uh, all over the world, uh, he said, well, I got Valentine's Day open. And I said, well, what is a better way to celebrate God's love than get out God's Word? Amen? He, he said, I like that idea. And so um, he'll be bringing those down, and so we would encourage you Uh, to come and uh, be a part of that. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 15, and and that'll be our main text this morning. And I I do want to, before we start this morning, uh, have you uh, really, uh, well, in school they used to say, put on your thinking caps. Uh, But I have yet to find a hat that actually helps me think uh, what we want you to do is, is really, by God's grace, uh, ask God to engage uh, your active cognitive resources that he has given you. Uh, because if you don't, you will easily miss this morning's message because of all of the stigma that the world has attached to the subject that we're looking at today. And yes, I'm going to preach on love, but I'm going to preach on love from a little different perspective. Uh, It's not a passage that we have never dealt with before here in church, but if you're a visitor or have not been here very long, this is going to be uh, something that you are going to have to think of, because as we look at our Bible, you have to remember that some of your Bible is very old. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy was put down on paper somewhere around uh, 1,600 years before Christ was born. Now, that's a long time ago. It's nearly 2,000 years since Christ, uh, well, actually around a little over 2,000 years now since Christ was born. And so we begin to add that up. Uh, You know, we're talking about a document that's nearly 4,000 years old. I want to challenge you to go to the bookstore and ask someone, do you have anything here that's 4,000 years old? And he's going to look, well, what do you mean? 
Uh, well, we have the writings of the Greek scholars. They're, they're about 22, 2,500 years old. Some of those are uh, a little older than that. If you get into a real scholarly bookstore, they may have a translation of the Gilgamesh epic, uh, which, how many of you have ever heard of that? Uh, only if you've been around here, I think. Uh, it, it's never been on the bestseller list. Uh, it's just... And it still doesn't compare to what's in your Bible. But one of the problems we have when we read something of such antiquity is we try to understand it in a modern day setting. Now, several times in the Scripture, in fact, keep your finger in Deuteronomy and go with me to Romans chapter 1. And I just want you to look at the wording here. Romans chapter 1 in verse 1. And, and this is by no means uh, the only example of this in the Scripture. Uh, there, there are at least 15 others that I was quickly able to find as I was looking here, but we're just going to pick this one this morning. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. That first phrase there says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, in our modern day understanding, that sounds nice. Paul says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And uh, we might think of that in, in many contexts. We have foreign diplomats who will say, I'm a minister or I'm a servant of, uh, of the United States government or some other foreign entity and all of those things. That's really not what this word means. Uh, in, in the year 1611, when our Bible was translated into the English language, uh, the word servant was connected to another word. Uh, there was a, an institution called indentured servitude. Now, what that was, was you signed an agreement. Normally, uh, the father would sign an agreement with a tradesman or someone that had some kind of skill or special knowledge, and you would agree that your son would go and serve him for X number of years, doing labor and being trained. In fact, in the early days of our uh, United States, while it was still a British colony, if you lived uh, in Great Britain and you wanted to uh, come here to the New World uh, and work here and live here, oftentimes you'd say, I don't have money for passage. And you would sign an agreement with uh, a tradesman or a store owner or, or a landowner here, and you would sign away sometimes seven, sometimes ten or fifteen years of your life in exchange for your passage. If you got over here and decided that the work was too hard, do you know what they did with you? They put you in prison until you decided the work wasn't too hard. You know why? Because you had made an agreement that you were going to exchange your labor for that many years. By the way, you didn't get up and say, hey, I don't like the uniforms here. They're very poor quality. Uh, I, I want, I want uh, name brand duds or I'm not working. That didn't happen that way. Uh, you didn't even get to pick your menu. You ate what you were given. You did what you were told. You say, Pastor, that sounds like slavery. Uh, that's where we're going here. Because that's what the word in your Bible means. Now, the problem is, in our modern day and time, we've got to get over the horribleness of what slavery has been in American history and, and still is today. Uh, uh, the idea that in order to have slavery, the first thing I, we need to get over this morning is in order to have slavery, you have to have an evil master. 
That's not true. Not every indentured uh, servant served an evil master. Not every issue of slavery, especially when we're talking about what was in the what is in the Bible and what went on in Jewish language and culture and what went on as regulated by the Old Testament law, uh, we're not talking about an evil master. Because if you were an evil master, there were other things that kicked in in the law to stop you from being an evil master. And by the way, many, many people learned great trades and become very, became very prosperous businessmen in the early history of our country through indentured servitude, even though it was a form of slavery. Uh, the second issue that we got to get over today is that slavery demands the servant to lose all marks of humanity. That's just not true. In fact, uh, uh, several years ago, and I don't mean to make light of all of the wrong things that were done under slavery, what I'm just saying is not all slavery is Uncle Tom's Cabin. Uh, we, we need to, in America, get past our history so that we can understand this. And, and one of the, um, some writer, he was doing a satire, but he uh, took the NFL draft and wrote about it as if you would write about the slave trade in the, 18, uh, in the late 1700s. And the connections were just absolutely unbelievable. Uh, do you know that when you're drafted by an NFL team, you're sold to the highest bidder? Now, they're bidding millions of dollars and you get to keep the money. But what happens if somebody bids and buys your year or years of playing and decides to put you on the bench? The name Tim Tebow come up in anybody's mind? You can't play. Even though you want to. Even though you're a free person. How many of you have ever worked for a company that says, if you leave this company, you have requirements. You cannot contact any of your old sales leads. You cannot talk to this. I mean, there's all kinds of regulations I want to challenge you today that you do not have to lose your humanity or your humanness to fit into especially what the Bible talks about and calls slavery. The third thing is that cruelty, hatred, and bigotry are the marks of slavery. Uh, in American history, that certainly been true. But that doesn't mean in all history it is true. And it's not true in the Bible. You see, Paul had the biblical picture of slavery in mind, which is what we're going to read about here in Deuteronomy chapter 15. And I want us to start reading in verse 12. He called himself and identified himself on many occasions, James, John, other uh, of the disciples, they called themselves the servants of Christ. The, the word meant bond slave or simply slave of Jesus Christ. In verse 12 of Deuteronomy chapter 15, it says, And if thy brother, an Hebrew man or an Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year, Shalt, thou shalt let him go free from thee. Now, do you get that? There was a program set up. If you got into debt, you could not pay your bills. You could sell yourself. You sold yourself into servitude. And you would sell your labor for a period of six years. It was a seven-year seven contract, but in the seventh year, you got to go free. Now, let's read the rest of this. 
And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock and out of thy floor and out of thy winepress of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Thou shalt give unto him, and thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing, I command thee this thing this day. And it shall be, if he shall say unto, if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee and thine house, because he is well with thee. Then thou shalt take an awl and thrust it through his ear unto the door, and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. It shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sendest him away free from thee, for he hath been worth a double hired servant to thee in serving thee six years, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all that thou doest. Take a moment and turn over to the book of Exodus in chapter 21. And we'll find a very similar passage here. And uh, we'll look down to uh, verses 2 through 6. It said, If thou buy an Hebrew servant... Six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master hath have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. Now, we read these passages. We hear the word slavery. All of a sudden, there's all kinds of images conjured in our minds when we hear the selling and and uh, the purchase of a human being and their service. And yet, what we have here is a picture that Paul was referring to, James. Phoebe was even referred to as a servant of the church at Centuria. And so we need to look at the biblical pattern here and understand what was going on and try to as much as lies within us, put ourselves away from all of the horrible stories and things that have been attached to slavery. And by the way, God's not endorsing slavery. But let me explain something to you. As long as there is a man who can take advantage of another man or woman, there will be slavery in the human race. Always has been and always will be. Now, what was provided for here in the law of the Jewish people was if you got a debt. Now, we're not talking about owing $100 on your credit card. Uh, what we're talking about is a debt that was equal to six years' salary. What is the median wage uh, here in New York City, I think it's like forty-three or $48,000, something like that. Well, let's just for the sake of math make it, thir uh, make it 50. 50 times 6 is $300,000. Now, don't raise your hand. How many of you are in debt that deeply? Uh, I, I would hope not. All right. But uh, the simple truth of the matter was that it's talking about selling your services for a six-year period, a seven-year period. Actually, uh, if we multiplied it by seven, that's $350,000, and you only had to work six years to pay off seven years' salary. Uh, that that's in itself is a pretty good deal. 
And you, it took a master or a man who was able and willing to pay seven years' salary up front so you could re- be released from your debts and then you would be free to serve him for the next six years. Now, see, we have an inability to pay a huge debt, not, not just something regular or normal, not something that you could work out over a period of time. This would be something that was beyond your ability. But this also included food, raiment, and lodging. On top of the salary. The contract was both ways. The owner could not rescind the contract in the middle of the time period, and you could not get out from your servitude until you had fulfilled your term. But here we have in both of these instances uh, a situation where a man who had got himself into this kind of debt and had sold himself and his service for a period of seven years His debts were paid. He was now in the service. He was actually bought, the Bible says. He was owned. His determination was made by another person that he could say, hey, this really isn't a bad way to live. In fact, it's a whole lot better for me here than it is on my own. I think I'll stay here. And he could make a willing decision, both passages we read, based on a little word called love, that he would give up his freedom. And it said, he shall serve him forever. That meant that he would never be released from this position of servitude. And I know that has to be running through some minds this morning. It says, now wait a minute, there's a wife and a daughter and and children. And if he leaves, he has to leave his wife and daughter and children. Let's go back to the beginning of this thing. We're not talking about an evil, manipulative master. In fact, the picture that Paul is bringing about the master is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The passage in Exodus that's speaking there is talking about a Jewish landowner, a Jewish master, and a Jewish servant. Do you think he's going to take a young woman and just put her on the auction block as we think of in slavery? No, that was not what was going on here. There was obligations that were dealt with, and there were things that were Uh, being put forth, and we've got to get past all of these thoughts and things that have been drummed into our minds since we were little children, and understand that when the Bible talks about slavery, it's not talking about the same thing. You see, the motivation is love. A man could choose. In Deuteronomy, it says... And it shall be if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee because he loveth thee and thine house because he is well with thee. In Exodus it says, I love my wife and my children. And let's just go there and make double sure, I believe it says, and my master. But uh, let me get back there. It says, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out free. A man could choose a life of service. And honestly, his life would be no different than if you signed a contract to work at a well-paying well benefit i mean most jobs don't give you food and rent and clothing as part of your 
uh, remuneration, yet all of those things were brought into, into mind. Now, I'm going to ask the question, could there be abuses? Well, let me answer the question. Is there any part in God's Word that man hasn't abused? Uh, so, let's not waste our time with these things. Let's get the, the illustration or the picture that Paul is referring to, that James is referring to, that the apostles were referring to when they identified themselves as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. What they were talking about was, there was a situation in my life where I had a great debt. A debt that I could not pay. A debt that there was no way for me to meet. And in those days, if you didn't pay your debt, read the story of the men that owed their Lord 10,000 talents and 100 pence. They went to prison until the debt could be paid. You say, but how in the world can I pay the debt if I'm in prison? Well, read the story. Your family members were sold into servitude according to these Rules, all of your possessions were sold or confiscated. And then you were in jail until your family worked off your debt. That'd be a pretty horrible situation to live in, wouldn't it? And so it was in your best interest to pay your bills. Amen? And yet, we have this huge debt, and it brought this man to a point to where he said, Listen, I will sell my service for the next seven years so that I can pay my bills and get my life put back together again. But while in that period of service, he begins to realize that you know, when I was in charge of things, I didn't do a very good job. In fact, I did not manage my funds well, and I did such a poor job that now I'm in servitude in order to pay these things off. But where I'm living, the food's good. The housing's good. The work's good. It's not dependent upon me, it's dependent upon my master. And by the way, if there's a drought, if there's hardship, he has enough in storage that he can get us through that hard time instead of ending up back where I was in debt and having to do this all over again. I mean, stop and think you only have so many seven-year periods of your life that you can sell before you start running out of life. Right? And so here we have a situation and he says, you know, the master said if I'd promised to stick around, that pretty little girl that's running around the house and serving the mistress could be my wife. And we could raise our family here and we would be safe from all of the problems and stresses of life. All we have to do is what the Master has asked us and enrich Him and make his prof Him profitable and He will take care of us for life. I think I'll stay. You know what? That's not a light decision. But it's one that some men made, according to the Scriptures, God in His forethought had allowed this, and it was a situation that would keep some people out of great trouble and distress in their life. In fact, for some people, it was the key to having all of the good things that life really had to offer. I mean, you have to understand, marriages in those days were not. Man walks down the street, sees a girl, goes, and all of a sudden they're married in six weeks. That didn't happen that way. Marriages were contract deals. And guess what? You wanted to marry a rich girl? You had to show up with lots of money. 
or it didn't happen. Uh, there were all kinds of things that were built into their society and, and were made so that people would have protection. And here we have this guy that has no hope of really anything good in life. And he says, I'll choose this position. Now, in choosing that position, how many of you know what an all is? I mean, modern English, we spell it A-W-L, and your Bible it's spelled A-U-L, and we don't have time for the grammar lesson that goes behind that, but it's why a double U is called a double U instead of a double V. Anyway, uh, we'll uh, move on here. But they would take an all, and they would bore it through your ear. Oh, pierced ears. I've always... No, no, no. That's not really what it meant when it said bore. They would start up here and literally rip the earlobe the whole way to the bottom. How many of you think that would hurt? Guess what? You're right. Uh, and it would heal. But anyone who looked at you as long as you lived. I mean, it wouldn't matter how far you pulled your hat down or how high you pulled your hood up over the back or what, if you had such a thing in those days. Anybody that got a look at you, even in the briefest passage, would say, Hey, that guy loves his master. You know why? Because he's willing to get his ear ripped in half and go through life scarred and deformed because he chose to serve his master. Now, if you saw such a person, would your first thought be, Boy, he's got such a good heart to be willing to go through all that pain and suffering. Or would your first thought really be, man, I'd like to meet that guy's master. He must really be a wonderful man. Hello? Uh, I think the second would be much more in order than the first. Because there would have to be a reason for a man to endure that pain and deformity and give up the determination for the rest of his life. And it was this picture, it was this paradigm, if you so want, it was this ceremony that the apostles had in mind when they spoke of their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, love, true love, demands action. True love allows for pain. True love changes the determination of your life. Now, could we take a few minutes this morning and just apply this to the life of the Christian this morning? How many of you remember when you had a debt you could not pay? It was called the debt of sin. For the wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, there's a lot of people that are trying to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. I love to say this, I hope you don't mind. The Ten Commandments was never designed as a ladder by which you could earn or climb your way to heaven. The Ten Commandments were a sealed condemnation that proved beyond any shadow of a doubt that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They were a death warrant. They were the paper that bound you and put you into eternal darkness unless 
the demands of the law were met. Guess who met those demands? Uh, The master. You see, he's a good master. He's a good shepherd. And I cannot help but feel that some of the motivation for all of the horrible things that are attached to slavery and the continual printing of this in literature and bringing it up is because people do not want to willingly surrender their lives to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Something's got to be wrong with that. Why why would I give up my freedom to serve Him? Oh, excuse me, if He's not your Lord, He's not your Savior. The Bible's very clear about that. Now, don't go to the extreme that some have, and they say, well, if you sin, if you break it, if you broke God's laws, then He's not your Lord. You know what? I'm glad He gives me the picture of the relationship of the Father and Son in order to help me understand that relationship. How many sons do we have out there today? Raise your hand. Okay, if you're a son, if you're a daughter, raise your hand. That's everybody, okay? How many of you disobeyed your parents? Uh, Can all the hands go back up again, please? Let's not lie at church. Did your parents throw you out of the house because you disobeyed and disowned you and changed your name and said, I'm never going to talk to you or recognize you as my son or daughter again? I mean, sometimes there are people like that. But would you do that to your children? Absolutely not. Well, why would God do that to us? Amen? You see, the relationship was, is there is not based upon my service. It's based upon His goodness. Amen? And if I were to ask you the question today... How many of you love Jesus here? Oh, every hand would go up, I would think. I mean, why would you be in church if you didn't care anything about the Lord Jesus, right? Okay, well, let's get to that other part where you put your ear up against the doorpost and they start putting that uh, needle through and and kind of grinding it down and then and people are going... Oh. I am too. I mean, just thinking about it. But, you see, didn't Jesus say that we were to be a peculiar people? We were to be a little different than the world? And could I challenge you that if you chose to live the things that are in the Bible, that you would be much stranger in appearance and behavior than if you had your earlobe disformed, as the Bible said, Uh, that it would actually be easier to recognize you as someone weird and strange and under the authority of another? Hello? And what was the motivation for this choice in the loss of freedom and in the loss of self-determination and in the loss of personal ownership? You see, the love of God is our subject this morning. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 15, If ye love me, what? Keep my commandments. In 1 John 5, 3, says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments... Does anybody remember the last part of that? Are not grievous. It's Sunday. i got to go to church. Wish I could just stay in bed. I love the joke that Brother Clayton always tells. He says, Why do I got to go to church today? The people there, they don't like me. I'm going to stay home. And his wife comes in and says, I'm going to give you three reasons why you got to go to church today. She said, number one, 
You're 45 years old. It's time to get up and go to church. She says, number two, we go to church because we worship God and He is important and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And the last reason is, you're the pastor. You'd better show up. I praise God I've never been there. But I I like that joke. It always gets a little bit of a laugh. But the simple truth of the matter is, God's love. We are driven to His love because of our great debt. And you know what? There is no debt that we run up in sin and disobedience and rebellion against God, that He is not able to pay, that He has not already paid for on Calvary's cross. Amen? If we understand our debt and what we've done with sin, and what the consequences of not paying that debt are, and by the way, Is the sinner the only person that suffers because of his sin? Just like in the Old Testament times, your family suffers because of your sin. Everybody you come in contact with suffers because of your sin. And you're the one that's going to jail, but they're the one that's paying for it. Unless, unless, You come to the Master. You see, God has the right to ask for everything that we are because He paid for everything on the cross. We have a Christianity today where everybody smiles and blows a kiss to Jesus. I actually saw that one time on TV. I mean, it was all I could do not to... uh, Regurgitate is the nice word. That kind of attitude and approach to God is is so demeaning to God. This passage in Deuteronomy and Exodus is what God is asking. He is asking for a willing willful decision based on an understanding of His goodness and His love that we would surrender our lives in lifetime service to the Master who paid our debt. You know what? Every good thing in my life is because Jesus put it there. Do you love God enough to give up your freedom? To surrender your life, your self-determination, your direction, your daily decisions? Are, Are you willing to surrender those to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what the man did in the picture here, and that's what Paul was saying when he said, I'm the servant of Jesus Christ. Do you not think that that was the hallmark of the life of the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was the Pharisee on his own right, and then he was the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The very people whose respect he had spent his whole life earning now hated him. Everything that he had was lost. Read Philippians chapter 3. Paul wasn't joking around when he used these words, and neither should we. But let me ask you, What has your personal freedom generated in your life other than more debt? Hello? You know, oftentimes, it's not until our freedom has destroyed every good thing we've ever hoped for that a person will come to the Savior and surrender to Him. But He's still there. And He's still able to save us. Amen? 
There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know what? In him is life. And the life is the light of men. I am more free as Christ's servant than I ever could possibly be serving myself. How many would say amen to that? You see, it's difficult in using the biblical words and reading the biblical passages to get over some of the modern stereotypes and understanding of these words. And that's something we need to pray about and we need to do. But when you sell yourself, when you are bought or sold, Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That is slavery. You can't get past it. But unlike human slavery, it does not take a cruel, bigoted, hateful taskmaster whose only wish is for his own enrichment. In the Bible, it's the very creator God of the universe who's taken time to be interested in my personal life. And if I'll surrender to Him, He'll pay my debt. He'll give me a life and that life more abundantly in giving up my freedom. I have the promise of His provision. My future is secured. Because my master is in charge. You know, your life would be so much simpler. My life would be so much simpler if I let Jesus take care of all the things that he's supposed to take care of. And I just did the things that he wants me to do. Because his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Because he carries the load. And when people see my life, what I want them to see is I'm not like everybody else. I mean, there's some things very different about my family. Amen? I mean, it just doesn't take very long. remember going out of a restaurant one time. There was a man standing at the door. He thought he was going to hold the door for Julia and the first couple, and then he started counting. One, two, three, four, five, six. Finally, I think I came out carrying the, the baby at that time, which was, uh, let me think who it was. I think it may have been Philip. Uh, it was a while ago, and uh, the guy looked at me and said, Good luck. And I'm sitting here going, no, God's blessings. How many of you like to know who the man was? Elliot Spitzer. <laughs> this was back before he became governor and got into trouble. But you know what? He was already in trouble way back then. I'll take my life. Amen? Let me tell you something. You think you have something by keeping a hold of yourself in your life? You're going to lose it. But if you'll give your life up to Jesus Christ, He'll do things with you far beyond your imagination. But here's the difference. Just like we would see the servant with that deformed ear. Our first thought is not going to be, wow, what a loving man he is. Or what a, as some people might say, you know, he, 
He, he must not have had a, much of a life to be willing to give it up to serve that master. But any honest inquiry would be, what an incredible master he must have to be willing to endure that for his master. And if we were able to take that kind of love to the world in which we live, do you not think they would think more of our Savior than they do? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, I would pray that the pictures and the words and the ideas that are here in your word would first and foremost be understood as part of your word and not attached to all of the horrible things that man has done over the centuries. And Lord, we would understand that you are good, that you are love. And that in order to love you and to be your servant, we must be different from the world. Lord, I would ask that we would look at our service for you in this light of a willing gift that was given to you that cannot be reversed. A mark that should go with us every day and every moment of our life as long as we have life. Lord, we ask that you would help us to love you as you have loved us. That we would willingly join the ranks of the Apostle Paul and James and many, many multitudes of others through the years who willingly gave their freedom that they might be your servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation is one we sing often.